All right, last week I asked you to imagine with me that you were at a birthday party and uh, in the middle of the birthday party, you grabbed some friends and you stole a bunch of trays of hors d'oeuvres and you barricaded yourselves in the family room because you didn't think there was enough food to go around. Do you remember this? And then, if you remember, the host of the party appeared and he was carrying this big, juicy ribeye steak, but the steak was just for the birthday boy. And if you were here, you'll remember the story had a very unfortunate ending. If you weren't here last week, you're going to have to listen to the podcast to hear how that story ended, but it was tragic. Today, I want to tell you the rest of the story, all right? Here's the rest of the story. It's about that host who came out with the ribeye steak. Turns out that the host had a plan for that ribeye steak, and he had a plan for the birthday boy. It wasn't that the birthday boy would get to gorge himself on steak while everybody else ate crackers and cheese. The plan was that the birthday boy would share the steak with all of the rest of the guests. But because you didn't trust your host to be truly generous with everyone, you took matters into your own hands, and the ending was tragic and awful. By the way, if you were here last week, I loved the gasps that went through the room when you killed the birthday boy. That, that was what happened. Now, listen, this story is an allegory, okay? This story is an allegory, and maybe you didn't get it last week, or if you weren't there, let me just tell you this today. I want you to know God is a generous host to you and me. God is a generous host to us, but we struggle sometimes to trust him to provide enough, and even though we can look around, I mean, have you enjoyed the weather the last couple of days? You look around and you see the plenty that God is providing for us in this world. We can, we can get afraid that maybe there isn't enough for me and there's not enough for mine. And here's the thing, we get really twisted up when we feel like God plays favorites. Because the reality is some people have more than others. Am I right? So the question I want to ask this morning is, does God have favorites? Does God have favorites? And if he does, how do I get him to pick me? Because I want to be God's favorite. And actually, let me be honest with you, you should be careful what you wish for. Because there's a guy in the Old Testament named Job who was one of God's favorites. And things didn't go very well for him for a long season of his life, even though he was God's favorite. In fact, in the, in the middle of the 20th century, the playwright Neil Simon wrote a really cool play uh, about Job in, in 20th century settings and, and is one of my favorite stage plays. And I ran across a video of a, of a theater troupe that made a promo for their production of God's Favorite. Take a look at this promo.
<laughs> so be careful what you wish for. Hey, next week, I just want you to know next week's topic is going to be asking the question, if there's plenty, if God really promises plenty, then why is there famine in the world? Why are there natural disasters in the world? Why is there suffering? Maybe you're asking the question, if there's plenty, why am I suffering? We're going to be addressing that question next week, and I hope you won't miss it. But today, does God have favorites? I want to say to you today, clearly, God does have favorites. I shared a couple of stories last week that I'll just recap really quickly from the Old Testament that would indicate that God kind of favors certain people. Remember Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4? They both came to God with an offering, and God clearly favored Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And the story doesn't really satisfy my curiosity for why he favored Abel over Cain. But we do see that Cain treated God with contempt. And so maybe there was a relationship between Cain's attitude and Abel's attitude of contempt. I shared the story of Jacob and Esau with you from Genesis 25 last week, a powerful story about these twins. And, and before they were even born, there was this prophecy spoken over their mother that said that the older twin would serve the younger twin, which is, was a complete reversal of the order, the birth order that was celebrated and enforced in the ancient world. And so the younger twin was Jacob. His descendants became the nation Israel. Esau's descendants became the nation Edom. And Israel actually did lead Edom. Edom had to serve the Israelites. And again, like Cain and Abel, there was this contempt that Esau had beginning with his birthright. He had no respect for his father or mother and he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And, and so God favored Jacob. And then there's, there's this other thing in the New Testament that would answer the question, does God have favorites? There's these words in the New Testament like chosen and predestined that describe Christians. And you have to look at those words and ask the question, are we his favorites? And if so, is that even fair? Is it fair that God chose us? So here's where we're going to go today. Uh, if you've got your note cards, let me just give you a little bit of a preview so you kind of have this in your mind where we're going. We're going to start with this Old Testament guy named Abraham, and we're going to talk about why he was favored by God, what God's purpose was for favoring Abraham, and then we're going to see how Jesus fulfilled God's favor over Abraham for all people. And then we're going to go to the doctrine of election, which is this part about chosen and predestined. We're going to cover all of that this morning. I'm going to move so quickly through these complicated topics that your head is going to spin, all right? You'll be that, like that little girl in that old movie from the 70s. No, not really. Just kidding. But there's a lot to talk about today, but we're going to end today with some things that you can put into practice if you have been favored by God. Okay, so that's where we're going. Let's start with Abraham. You ready? Here we go. Buckle your seatbelts. Abraham. 
In the book of Genesis, we pick up Abraham's story in Genesis chapter 12. And it's like this guy comes out of nowhere. We don't have a lot of backstory for Abraham. We know that he lives in, in a region where, where uh, modern day Iraq, close to the Persian Gulf. He lives there and, and God appears to him and speaks to him right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. Here's what we read, it's up on the screen. The Lord, that's Yahweh, had said to Abram, now I'm calling him Abraham because later on God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, leave your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. And then God said this, look at this very carefully. I will bless you, and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, the question I have is why did God pick Abraham? Abraham, from, from everything we can discern from the book of Genesis, was a nobody, and here's something else that's, he, that, that, that's interesting when we look into Abraham's life. Abraham wasn't a Christ follower. He wasn't a worshiper of Yahweh. He was actually a heathen. I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean he worshiped false gods. So why did God pick Abraham to bless? Well, one reason is because God is a generous father, but the more important reason is because God had a purpose for Abraham. This is what the purpose was. You saw that at the end of that verse. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Would you read that out loud with me? All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's the purpose. And if I could summarize it for you, and this is in your notes, I would say this. God picked Abraham to prosper. God picked Abraham to prosper for the benefit of all people. It wasn't so Abraham could eat all the steak and gorge himself on good food. He picked Abraham to prosper so that he would benefit all the families on earth. Do you see how important that is? Now, Abraham, if you know Old Testament history, you know Abraham had a son. His son had sons who went on to have lots of sons and grandsons. And before long, they were on their way to becoming a nation. Uh, at one point in their history, they ended up slaves in Egypt. And then Moses led them out of Egypt and they settled into the promised land and became a great nation. And, and what happened is all of these Jewish people, descendants of Abraham, began to grab onto this promise of God that he will make them prosper. But they for, kind of forgot that, that second part, that they were going to bless all the other nations of the earth. And, and so they just held on to their position as God's favorite. And so what happened over time is they kind of developed this mindset of insiders and outsiders. It's easy to fall into when you're blessed. They believed all the Jewish people were insiders. Everybody else was outsiders. They even had words for it. 
If you're an insider, you're a Jew. If you're an outsider, you're a Gentile. What does the word Gentile mean? Anybody who's not a Jew, you're an outsider. And then along comes Jesus, who came back to fulfill that promise that God gave to Abraham. Let's talk about Jesus. I, I use the story often from John chapter 4 of the woman at the well. It's really one of the most important stories in the Gospels. You, you might know the story. Jesus is traveling through this this area called Samaria, where the Samaritans lived. The Samaritans were a, a people of mixed race. The Jews had intermarried with, with people who were not worshipers of Yahweh, and the Jews hated the Samaritans because they had compromised their faith. And Jesus is traveling through this area, and whenever a Jew would travel through Samaria, they wouldn't stop, they wouldn't talk to anybody because they were outsiders. And Jesus, consistent with his nature, stops to get a drink of water at a well, and he encounters a Samaritan woman, and he immediately begins to have a conversation with her. Now, this is completely countercultural of the day, because A, a rabbi or a teacher wouldn't talk to a woman, but this was a Samaritan woman, double bad on Jesus to talk to a Samaritan woman, Right? And she began to have this conversation with Jesus, and lo and behold, she becomes one of the first people that Jesus reveals himself to in the sense that he is the Savior of the world. So interesting that he tells a Samaritan woman that he's the Messiah right off the bat. He talks to her about living water. You, you may have heard the story before if you've read it, if you've read the Gospel of John. But I, I want to tell you how the story ends in John chapter 4. This is up on the screen. Many Samaritans from that village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see Jesus, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Do you see how Jesus is bringing salvation to the outsiders, right? And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of of the world. See, the Jews were expecting a Messiah who would come and deliver them from the tyranny of Rome so that they could still continue their status as God's favorites. Jesus came and said, hey, you missed a whole bunch of stuff in the promise of God. Because Israel exists, Abraham had the promise that he would bless the whole world. God picked Abraham and the Jewish nation to prosper for the benefit of all people, not just their little group, but for the benefit of all people. And the promise was fulfilled through Jesus. Now, Paul the Apostle picked this theme up in this letter that he wrote to a bunch of believers in a city called Galatia, Interesting thing about this church, it was filled with both Jews and Gentiles who were worshiping together. 
And Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter three. He said, what's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So now all, everybody say the word all. All who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So listen, God picked Abraham to prosper for the benefit of all people. And here's the good news for you and me. And he picks us for the same purpose. He picks us for the same purpose. So now let's talk about election. And this is the question. Am I one of God's favorites? Turn to your neighbor and say, I could be wrong, but I think I'm God's favorite. Let's talk about election. If you're taking notes, you want to get this down. You might have to think about this a little because now we're getting into some deep biblical theology. Election is the biblical doctrine that God chooses people to receive his favor before they have done anything good and bad. Okay? Let me read this again. Election is the biblical doctrine that God chooses people to receive his favor. Favor is the root word of what? Favorite. Okay? God chooses people to be his favorites before they've done anything good or bad. Okay? That's election. And so you really can say, God picked me. I'm I'm God's favorite because he's chosen you. But here's the problem with this doctrine of election. The, the, the doctrine of election got funky about 500 years ago with one of the reformers. His name was John Calvin. Do you remember John Calvin? Have you heard a little bit about him? John Calvin made this, this doctrine a little funky, and it's perpetuated by Calvinist followers to this day. Can I just put, press pause here? This is a great dad, and it's also his birthday. Happy birthday, dear Connor. Happy birthday to you. (laughs) You didn't know that was coming, did you? Not even in the script. That was awesome. (laughs) All right. Election got funky when John Calvin came along because he taught something called double predestination, okay? Stay with me now, because you gotta think a little bit. Here's what double predestination is. Double predestination is the idea that God chooses some individuals to be saved, and he also predestines some individuals to be damned, okay? It's called Double predestination. This works itself out in in ways that are really tragic because 
people that believe this double predestination thing have gone back to this idea that there's insiders and they're outsiders and that God literally hates the outsiders. We saw this, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago when there was a, a Baptist group of people that were protesting at gay people's funerals because they believed that God hates gay people. Do you remember that? And they, they carried all kinds of horrible signs. It's because they believe in this doctrine of double predestination, that God created people to go straight to hell and they don't even have a chance to be saved because God hates them. It's a terrible theology that is not in the Bible. This came from John Calvin's logical brain, okay? Now, if you think that's just weird and it doesn't, doesn't affect very many people, I want to take you to a website called gotquestions.org. If you ever Google questions about Christian theology, this is one of the first websites that will come up. And this, the, the writers of this website believe in double predestination. Here's just a snippet of what they write about election and predestination. They say, God did not choose everyone. If he had then everyone would come to faith in Christ. This is rooted in John Calvin's teaching that God is in control. And if God wants something, he makes it happen, okay? And, and so how that works out logically is that God doesn't choose everybody. Otherwise, we would experience irresistible grace and we would be forced to become Christians. In other words, you have no free will in this system of doctrine. Okay. The website goes on and says, he chose some and God left others to their own desires. Left to ourselves, all of us would continue in our rebellion and reject Christ. It's absolutely not true and it's not in the Bible. Okay? Election is in the Bible. Let me take you now to Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what we read in Ephesians from the Apostle Paul. Paul says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Now this is an important couple of verses, but I want to highlight some words Go ahead, Aslan, highlight those words for us. Look at these pronouns and the sons and daughters. Notice that all of those words are plural. That's an important distinction because Paul is not talking about individuals, but he's talking about the church, the community of saints. So when he says he chose us, he's saying he chose the church before the foundation of the world, that the church would be holy and blameless, and he predestined all of us to be sons and daughters. It's a collective statement. It's not individualistic. So, if you're taking notes, write this down. God elected the church to be saved, and because of God's promise to Abraham that was fulfilled in Jesus, listen, everyone is invited to the party. Okay? That's good news. That's God who is a generous host that wants to pour out his blessings on 
everyone. And, 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 and here's one more verse that will reinforce what, the, what, what, what I'm saying about this double predestination stuff. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. Talking about why hasn't Christ come back again? He's not slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants who? Everyone to repent. Listen, everyone is invited to the party. Good news. So now let's go back to that idea that I've been talking about with Abraham because it's true of you. Listen, God picked you to prosper, but not so that you could spend it all on yourself and make yourself really rich and fat and happy. He picked you to prosper for the benefit of other people. Will you say this out loud with me? I want this to go to the core of your soul. God picked you to prosper. I can't hear you. God picked you to prosper for the benefit of other people. Now listen, if you're not yet walking with Jesus and you want to be God's favorite, all you got to do is say yes to the invitation. And you're part of the people he picked to prosper. And you can benefit other people. I think that's really cool. Now, I, I want to spend the rest of my time just before we go to water baptism, which is going to be awesome because we're celebrating people that have joined the group of God's favorites. I want to talk about how we can apply this to our lives, and I want to give you three practical ways that you can benefit other people out of your own prosperity, okay? And the first one that I want to give you today is to be generous with love. Oh, I skipped ahead of myself. We can't do this until I read this verse from Luke. Sorry, Aslan, go back to the previous slide. Luke, chapter six. This is Jesus speaking. I think this is really important for us to acknowledge. This is Jesus speaking, okay? This comes from the Son of God, okay? Read this out loud with me. Give generously, and generous gifts will be given back to you, shaken down to make room for more. Pause right there. What Jesus is picturing is these big baskets that the harvesters would carry when they were harvesting grain. And they would fill them up with grain, and then they would shake them to remove all the air pockets and get everything to settle so they could get more grain into the baskets, okay? Give generously, come on, and generous gifts will be given back to you, shaken down to make room for more. Abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overwhelming measure that it will run over the top. Oh, is that beautiful? The measurement of your generosity becomes the measurement of your return. So how do I put that into practice? Let me share three points and three short stories. First, be generous with your love. Be generous with your love. Jesus said that we should love our enemies because if we only love the people who love us, 
There's no credit for that because even sinners love the people who love them. But has anybody ever figured out that it's tough to love your enemies? Okay. Especially if somebody has really hurt you, it is tough. So we have to practice. And let me, let me just present a couple of scenarios in which you could practice loving. How about, how about just practicing loving people you don't know? Susie shared with me this week uh, that, that she and her mom, and I think there were a couple of other people, uh, went out to lunch this week, and, and they were having lunch, and uh, one person at their table, their order came wrong. And it was just a disaster, and everything just kind of went downhill. The whole lunch was just a disaster. And it would have been really easy to get angry with the server, but instead they chose to just lavish love on their server. And Susie said to me that by the time they were gone, the server was nearly in tears. Can we just practice loving people well by taking situations and loving people, especially in unexpected scenarios? I was at a a pastor's conference early this week, and on Wednesday I was driving back to Bozeman, and I got real hungry at Deer Lodge. Okay, have you ever stopped for lunch in Deer Lodge? I chose the safe choice, which was McDonald's. And um, (laughs) I I went inside and I I placed my order, and as as I'm looking around, I'm just thinking to myself, Man, these are rough people working in McDonald's in Deer Lodge. And I just kind of made a mental note. And uh, the young man that took my order brought out my chicken nuggies, and they were hot and crunchy and delicious. You don't call them nuggies? You can use that anytime you want to. And when I was, when I was, done, when I was done eating, I... I went up to the counter and I asked for a refill on my iced tea and he filled it up. And, and when he handed my cup back to me, I said, you guys are doing a great job. And he just looked floored. And as I was walking out of that McDonald's restaurant, I heard him in the kitchen yelling, hey, you guys, that guy just said we're doing a great job. <laughs> How easy it is to bless somebody and be generous with our love. But all too often, I think we're stingy with our love, especially with people we don't know, or if we get bad service, we get really grumpy and cranky, or if somebody has hurt me, I am gonna withhold my love from them. Listen, God prospered you. He picked you to prosper so you can benefit other people. Put it into practice with your love. Here's the second suggestion I have for you. Be generous with the gospel. Be generous with the gospel. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. He's saying, be generous with the gospel because God picked everybody. He invited everybody. He's not willing that any would perish. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations or worlds where it's difficult to share the gospel. But when you have a heart of generosity, you can do it right where you are, whatever your scenario is. We have a connector. His name is Travis. And uh, six or so years ago, he made some 
really terrible decisions and uh, ran afoul of the law and ended up in prison up in Shelby. And he was in prison for about five years. A Christian young man. And it would have been really easy for him to get bitter and angry and just hate the world and hate life. But instead, he decided to enroll in an online seminary and he earned his master's degree and his doctorate in theology. And at the same time, started a Bible study for his fellow inmates and he shared the gospel generously with his fellow inmates. For five years, he just led people to Jesus. Last week... One of those guys that was in his Bible study was released from Shelby. He had, he had uh, served his whole term, so he didn't need to go to pre-release. And they gave him $60, I think it was, 60 bucks and a bus ticket to Bozeman. Wow. You know where he showed up last Sunday? Connect Church. And, and we just rallied around him and we tried to bless him and we tried to help him. Um, in a week and a half, he's found a job. He's got a bicycle. He's attending a church today that's, that he can ride his bike to. Um, but he's found a job. He's already been promoted to foreman on his job. And they gave him a raise and, and he's doing great. Now, I, I want to say that's great for him. He's obviously a great man. But thank God for Travis who decided to generously share the gospel in prison of all places, and it's bearing fruit. Because God picked him to prosper for the benefit of his fellow prisoners. Okay? So be generous with your love. Be generous with the gospel. And the third thing I want you to think about is be generous with your resources. Now listen. This doesn't just mean money. God wants us to be faithful and generous with our money. Of course he does. But it can really be anything that you have that you can share with other people. At this pastor's conference I was at on Wednesday, I go to this conference every year so I know how, it, I know how everything rolls. And on Wednesday morning we have our last session and and uh, the leaders always end this session with all of us pastors sharing communion together. And I went in and I noticed as I was walking in that there was a table, kind of a table just like this one, and it was covered with those little communion packets that we used during COVID. Do you remember those with the peel off top? Okay, I hate them. But they're, they're convenient for, for a large gathering. And so they just had those at a table um, when, when I walked in and I went in and found my seat and I was sitting in about the third row and I was all by myself and after everything had started, uh, Pastor JD, our youth pastor, came in and he came and he sat down next to me. And the pastor got up to, to lead communion and as soon as he started talking about it and he told us to grab our little communion packets, I leaned over and I said to JD, did you grab a communion packet when you came in? And he said, no, I didn't see him. Well, we're, sit we're seated in the middle of a row, and he didn't want to get out and, and go get a communion packet, so he said, that's okay. But I, I just felt compelled. I need to give him my communion packet. And, and J.D.'s like, no, 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 you keep it. And I said, no, 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 you take it. And we're having, you know, a little struggle. So I convinced J.D. to take my communion packet, and then 
um, the pastor began to pray over the bread. And, and I had my eyes closed, and he said amen, and I opened my eyes. And JD had snapped that little wafer in half and handed it to me. Now listen, that wafer is not even as big as my thumbnail. But he had enough to share. So he handed it to me. I was so moved. Because give generously and generous gifts will come back to you. Communion is important. I, I wanted to participate fully, right? JD cared about me enough to just... So we ate and we worshiped. Then he nudged me and he said, do you want to drink first or should I? <laughs> and I said, you drink first. And again, there's probably not even a teaspoon in the, of liquid in that little thing, right? But J.D. drank, and then I drank. And we just sat there and worshiped. Because even in things like a tiny little wafer and a teaspoon of liquid is enough to share. And it makes room for God to bring it back to you generously. We just sat there and prayed and worshiped with all the other pastors. And all of a sudden I realized that I had involuntarily wrapped my arm around JD and I was holding him and it was probably too long and uncomfortable for him. <laughs> but I was just so grateful. Can I ask you a question? What can you share generously with somebody else? Doesn't have to be money. It can be anything. When you see somebody in need, you just give away what you have. And I could go on and on. I'm not going to. The reason I could go on and on is because Chris and I live this. And we have watched the generosity of other people be showered on us. And I believe it's this spiritual principle that if you give generously, you make room for God's generous to be poured back into your lap. And he's going to shake the basket to make room for more. Why? Because he's, he, he's picking us to prosper so that we can benefit other people. Who will you give generously to? this week. Just open your eyes for opportunities and you'll find them. At McDonald's, in a communion service, wherever. Give generously. You can do it because you're God's favorite. Amen? Okay, put your things aside. Let's pray. Here's how I want to pray. Just one simple prayer, and then we're going to get people baptized. If you're here today, and you have not yet said yes to God's invitation 
to be part of his church, the favorites that he picked. And today you want to say yes to Jesus and experience all of his blessing, all of his bounty, all of his goodness. Would you, would you pray with me this morning? It might be your first time saying yes to Jesus. Maybe you're coming back to Jesus after a little while. If you feel a nudge in your heart, whatever it is, or if you feel any kind of compulsion to raise your hand, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I'm just going to pray with you. But if you have any kind of inclination to say yes to Jesus today, shoot your hand up right now so I can pray with you. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. Okay, now everybody pray out loud with me. Jesus, thank you for inviting me. I'm saying yes to you today. Wash me clean. Change me from the inside out. And I welcome your blessing in my life. I invite you, Jesus, to fill me with your Holy Spirit, to empower me to walk with you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. Okay. Hmm. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning for the first time or maybe just saying yes to Jesus again, would you share that with somebody? Just, just use the words of your lips as a, as a seal of what happened in the spiritual realm today.